Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. On today's episode, I deep dive with Allie and Josh, otherwise known as the Phi Couple, about how to pay off debt, how to save money, and how to invest in order to make more money. For us, two two concepts that we really had to kind of better understand and then kind of internalize was one, the concept of delayed gratification. So eventually having the thing that we want, but first doing the things we need to do. And then also just thinking of opportunity cost of if we don't delay this gratification, if we don't make these sacrifices now for the next three, four, five years, what is that going to cost us for the next 25 to 30 years? Hi, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Allie and Josh from The Phi Couple, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today because I cannot wait to pick your brain on any investment tips that you have. We just bought a new home and I don't, I I just, I have so many questions to ask you about how that's going to help us save money in the long run. I'm not even sure where to start. Um, So I just, let's start with first your story. I know you've shared a lot on Instagram um, and your social channels about how you were able to come out of debt. I think a hundred thousand dollars in debt actually in three years. Am I correct on that? Tell, Mm -hmm. Tell us how you did that. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. So um, so we got married in 2018. Uh, the year prior to that, though, Allie had just graduated from her master's program. Um, and money was never really a point of conversation for us. And it was a point of strife, but we just kind of avoided it to the best that we could. Um, but it was when she graduated and when we started kind of planning our wedding, that was kind of like the first time we actually started having conversations about money and saving how much money do we make how much is a wedding going to cost and it was kind of through that process that's kind of when we really started tallying up the fact that we had over six figures of debt and that was just student loans that didn't include car loans personal loans credit cards etc and that's kind of when we decided that we really needed to make some changes and i think for most people growing up you don't necessarily have those conversations you don't learn it in school like how to manage your finances how to be a savvy shopper like all of these types of things we just are really 
taught how to spend money and take on debt, but not necessarily how to pay it off. So it was a very rattling experience to not only see that we had over six figures of debt, but also we were essentially living paycheck to paycheck, really broke. I'm a social worker. Josh is also in human services. So we weren't making high salaries. um, And it was just very overwhelming. So then fast forward a year, it is the year of our wedding. And Josh got laid off from a long term employer and totaled his car within a two week span. So that was our world. (laughs) Yeah, our world was like crashing around us. But through that chaos, it was like sink or swim. And we decided we needed to swim, right? Um, And we poured, and by we, I mean Josh, um, into all things real estate, personal finance, and just self education. Because so when we started having conversations, we realized our debt, we knew we wanted a better life, which meant more time together. Um, the plan that eventually to maybe have a family and be able to spend time with that child, maybe to not have to work in as high stressful jobs, maybe even work part time. Um, so then, yeah, I went to the Internet and it was like how to pay off debt faster and how to uh, earn more money and things like that. Um, and that's kind of when we stumbled into the whole world of early financial independence. And having debt is essentially a trap. When you have debt, every dollar you earn is not yours. It belongs to that debt. So for us, it was how can we get really uncomfortable and totally turn our life around to eliminate this debt and get our time and life back? Exactly. And I think there's so much pressure out there to have the best car, have the best house, have the best clothes. And like you said, you're taught at an early age. I know my parents taught me to get a credit card, I think when I was 18 years old, to start establishing my line of credit, which is a good thing to learn because we're not taught that. So in my mind, I thought, oh, my first credit card, Nordstrom. (laughs) And and I had like a $400 limit, but I spent it all. I mean, it was so easy to, you know, spend $400 at Nordstrom, but, you know, you spend it all and then you're already maxed out. And then you kind of learn that, like I said, at such an early age, and then you keep just wanting more and more and more. And you think, oh, this is easy money. Speaking of student loans, my husband and I both have our doctorates. You know, we're both, you know, have our doctorates in psychology. Our student loan debt is astronomical. Mm-hmm. I mean, this we actually got this house that we just moved into because our finance people, our mortgage lenders were very skeptical about giving it to us because the the, the debt was almost as much as the house cost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a lot, you know, and um, finances cause a lot of strife in couples and in, you know, it's, it's, it's a point of contention for a lot of people. So, so give us some tips on, you know, just some, some things that you did to start getting out of that debt, because once you're in it, it's, it's so hard to get out of it because the numbers just keep going up and up and up. And like you said, you're living paycheck to paycheck and it's hard to get out of it. So what were some of the first steps you took? It's super hard to get out of it. And I think uh, it's also hard to get on the same page regarding this because personal finance and the way we live our life and spend our money is such an emotional topic. And it can be kind of a delicate topic to broach with your partner or family. So for us in the beginning, we call it like paying off debt with a spoon versus a shovel. We focused on tiny expenses, kind of like the Dave Ramsey method. So it was cutting out the coffee, getting rid of the Netflix, getting rid of the gym membership. And The way we like to describe this is those are tiny micro emotional decisions that you make dozens of times a day. And it took a toll on us because those little decisions actually really impacted our quality of life. Sorry, we have a kitten and she's meowing. Um, She sounds so cute. I love it. (laughs) Um, She she has some input to say too, apparently. (laughs) Can I come in and be in the podcast? Um, 
podcast. Um, but, but those little emotional decisions, they impact your quality of life. And we got burnt out within like three or four months. So then Josh kind of went back to the drawing board a little bit. Yeah. And so the big thing too, for us was not just because a lot of times the way a lot of like um, banks or financial companies work is they don't want you to think about the total number. They just want you to be so fixated on that monthly payment. Can I fit right. that monthly payment into our budget? Because as long as you can, you're all good. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So for us, it was when we started peeling back the layer a little bit and saying, not just what's the monthly, I don't care what's the monthly, how much do we actually owe? And that in and of itself was a whole time and effort and a lot of emotion. And frankly, it was really scary because we started really tallying up those numbers. And then once we kind of got that total collective amount, the question then kind of became, well, how much of our time is now spoken for by other people? At that time, I think we were both making just over $40,000 a year in full-time careers. And so we were like, we're both, and that's gross income, right? That's not after tax. So it's like, that's years of our life, full-time work that's now spoken for by other people. And that sitting with that and really framing of not just the monetary cost, but the time cost, that really forced us to rethink every aspect of how we were living our life. So I had mentioned the spoon strategy with cutting out the three, five and $10 expenses. But what we kind of shifted gears to was what we call our shovel strategy. So cutting out the hundred, three hundred and three thousand dollar expenses. So in the beginning, most people are able to reduce their cost of living with a spoon. They're able to cut out those things because they're kind of like the easy, low hanging fruit. But it's not as easy to get rid of a car payment, to pay off a credit card, to be mortgage free. Um, but that was our goal. Our goal was let's get rid of our car payment. So I had a really beautiful car that like isn't even bougie. But for us being broke, like a $15,000 car was really fancy at the time. Of course. Um, yeah. We got rid of it. We traded it in. We got a used car cash. Um, there was a cigarette burn in the front seat. And I like cried the whole way home because I hated the car so much, But <laughs> which is like dramatic. And ultimately, I'm very happy we made that choice. But having that used car meant no car payment. And that was $200 in our pocket, um, which was thousands of dollars a year every um, you know year. And then from that, we decided instead of renting our luxury apartment, we're going to buy a 120 year old duplex, move into one side and the tenants rent pays for the majority of our cost of living. So those two moves right there radically reduce our cost of living. Because if you look at the average American budget, most people spend on three things, housing, food, and transportation. So if you can account for ways to reduce those areas, the other areas like the date night and the Netflix and the lip, it doesn't matter as much. So Josh has like a Starbucks budget in our budget. He goes to Starbucks every single day. And it doesn't matter because our cost of living in the big areas is so low. Right. And you made a great point. And I just want to reiterate that, that there's an element of sacrifice that people have to decide to intentionally make. If they're yeah. going to be debt-free or if they're going to be financially independent, then they need to make some of those sacrifices, like getting the car that they may not necessarily want, but that they need, or you know, living at your, at your, at your needs versus your wants. Um, same with the house or whatever it is. And it's not, doesn't have to necessarily be long-term. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more of those short-term 
big moves that you make. And then once you're financially stable, then you can start saving, investing, buying second properties, doing all the things um, because you don't have that, that, that debt in the background. And then you can actually start saying, hey, you know, we have $50,000 in the bank. Let's go buy that Land Rover that you wanted. I mean, maybe that's a little extreme, but you know, the, the Toyota Camry, whatever it is, you know, but it's, it's, there is a, an element of sacrifice. Would you agree in that? And you have to really make that intentional, uh, uh, like commitment to do it. This is the thing. We live in a world of instant gratification and we want an easy button for everything. And over the past five years, we have like cried more times than I can count because we wanted that easy button. But there's no easy button to this. You have to make sacrifice. But the beauty of personal finance is it can look different for every person's situation. So for us, we didn't care as much about our housing and our cars. So we were willing to like you know, lower that line item. Whereas we have friends that we've been helping with their finances. They have the $700,000 house, the $60,000 car, but they cook every single meal at home. They don't have any subscription services. They don't go out shopping. Like they do nothing. So for us, that wouldn't have worked because I want all of those things, but I'm like, yeah, I can live in an apartment for a few years. But for them, they really valued having the nice car, having the beautiful big home. So they were willing to spend more on that, but reduce kind of those smaller pieces. So again, no one size fits all. And a lot of it does come down to intentionality. Um, you know, and for us two two concepts that we really had to kind of better understand and then kind of internalize was one, the concept of delayed gratification So eventually having the thing that we want, but first doing the things we need to do. And then also just thinking of opportunity cost of if we don't delay this gratification, if we don't make these sacrifices now for the next three, four, five years, what is that going to cost us for the next 25 to 30 years? And when we started kind of doing that kind of that cross comparison a little bit of if we can work hard and we can do the things that we need to do. For the next three, four, five years, the abundance and the freedom and the power of choice it's going to give us for the next three or four or five decades, it becomes almost a no-brainer. That's not to say that in the moment those sacrifices don't suck, because they they absolutely do and they can. But when you're able to kind of step out, it's like that quote, you know, don't lose the forest through the trees kind of thing. When you're able to periodically step back and remember the reason why you're doing all you're doing it makes those sacrifices a bit more manageable. Right, exactly. And you know, you mentioned something earlier that I also I want to go back to for a minute and it's about being on the same page as your partner. Mm-hmm. I know in in you know, my relationship with my husband, we come from very different financial backgrounds which I know impact how we do our finances in our house. And I mean, when I say different, I mean extremely different. And so we have very different outlooks on the value of money and where to spend it, where to invest it, where to save it. And it's difficult at times because there'll be times where I'll say, you know, you've gone to Albertsons or the grocery store, you know, 15 times this week. And he'll respond with, well, yeah, but I only spent $10 each time. And then my response is, well, it all adds up. You know, that was $200 by the time you're done. I mean, I know that the math isn't right, but I'm just kind of estimating here. And we have these conversations or something will happen and he'll charge it on the credit card. And I'll say, oh my gosh, why did you do that? Why didn't you charge it in our checking account? Because if we don't have the money, we shouldn't spend it. So don't even touch the credit card unless there's like a huge, 
you know, problem with the car needs service or, you know, the real big stuff that the unexpected finances that come our way. So how important is that to be on the same page as your partner and any advice on how to get there, especially if you come from different backgrounds like we do? This is such an important topic and one that we're really passionate about because when you look at marriages in general, we have a 50 plus divorce rate in our country. And when you look at one of the most common things that married couples fight about, it's personal finance. So when we think about relationships when we're younger in our early 20s, our teens, we think about love, lust, and having that emotional connection. But a marriage is really also a business relationship. But we don't talk about that stuff because it's not fun and sexy. And I think that getting on the same page with your spouse is so, so critical um, and having that communication in key. Because for us, like you, Kim, we came from radically different backgrounds. I grew up like middle class family. I learned about saving, not about investing. Um, But I, I was taught some ways to be responsible with money. Josh grew up in extreme poverty, a ton of trauma. So for you, it was like spend the money because you never know when you're going to get it again. And those opposite backgrounds, I mean, oh, like (laughs) talking about money and spending, it's like we were merging oil and water. It just wasn't a thing, you know? And I think a lot of times the conversation is like how to better talk to your partner about money. But if you picture like an iceberg, money is just the tip of the iceberg because really what you're saying is how do I talk to my partner about my values? And before you get to there, do I even know my own values? Like, did I grow up in a household where money was abundant or viewed as a scarce thing? And then how are my spending habits? Do I emotionally spend? Because personal finance isn't necessarily money. It's all behavior. It's mindset. It's recurring habits that we build and how they impact us. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about that, uh, Morgan Housel wrote a what I thought was a groundbreaking book, The Psychology of Money. And it's a deep dive into the psychology, the behavioral psychology around personal finance, because again, and this is one of the reasons we kind of started um, our platform a little bit is because so much in the personal finance and the financial advising space, they want you to kind of like live in the Excel sheet and they really get granular with the numbers. When in reality, that's like 20%, maybe less of the equation. So much of it is the behavior and the mindset of the person who's actually making and spending the money. So like not to be dramatic, but I think communication and getting on the same page as your spouse with finance can truly be the make or break it of relationships. Yeah, I agree. And I think like you had mentioned, it definitely causes a lot of arguments you know, being nitpicky, you know, who's paying the bills? Did you pay the bill? We're spending too much here. I mean, they're difficult conversations to have, Mm -hmm. but also necessary and how you bring them up to your spouse or how you address it. um, I think looking at the values first and foremost is key um, because people may not even know what their own values are because they're so used to what they know. And if they grew up in a world of materialism and all the things, then they're going to think, well, what's wrong with that? Why? And they might take it personally and be offended. Well, that makes me bad because I do this. And it's it's not necessarily like that. It's just, you know, looking at the different perspectives on life and, and money and how to spend that. So we're going to take a really quick break. And then I want to hear all your tips on actually how to save and invest. So everyone who's listening knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. 
Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. Okay, so we're back, and I would love to know where the first place we should look at to invest. Is it stocks and bonds? Is it investment properties and, and buying you know, a, a, a property that you can use as a rental? Is it uh, putting money into CDs? What is your advice when it comes to when we have the money, where should we invest it and how to do that? So I'm going to take a couple steps back before I answer your question. So before someone thinks about investing, you want to make sure that their financial foundation is solid. Um, because if we're investing, but our financial foundation is weak, then we're not in a good position. So the first thing that I would recommend anyone do is know your numbers, how much money you're making, how much money you're spending, what assets you have and what debts you have. From there, I would want to really evaluate are there areas we can cut? Are there areas I can increase my income? And then the first thing about investing, investing isn't just putting money to where you're gaining interest like stocks and real estate. Investing is also essentially paying off debt because you're saving yourself all the interest. So for us, I would want to make sure you have a solid emergency fund. I would want to make sure that you're paying off that high interest debt. And for us, we didn't want to wait until all of our debt was gone before we invested because we would have been waiting a while. So we did a combination approach of paying off debt and investing at the same time. Do you want to speak more to like the types of investments? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, I think a lot of times um, people want to rush to the, you know, the stocks and real estate and stuff like that, or maybe starting a business. Um, but the reality is, and we talk a lot about real estate, but you need that strong foundation in order to build up. And so something even as simple as an emergency fund. There is a large proportion of the American population where if they encountered a $400 emergency, they would have financial strife and they would have to go into debt to be able to pay for a $400 emergency. I think it's almost half of the U.S. population based and, on the like wow. And yeah. I'm sure anyone listening to this can think of a time or a plethora of times where they've encountered a $400 either absolute emergency or something that just did they didn't plan for. I mean, we have, we have people we talk to all the time who um, they thought they budgeted enough for the holidays and the holidays ended up being more expensive. And then they had to go into debt just to afford Christmas presents or whatever the holiday was. So from there, the next thing I would think of, and again, it's not an exact type of investment, but what kind of life do you want to have? And this is kind of a vague conversation, but um, do I want to retire early? Do I want to work a full career into my 60s? Um, what type of life do you want working wise? And then how involved do you want to be in your investments? Because there's two things to consider. How much cash do I need in order to retire early or retire in my 60s? And how passive do I want it to be? Do I want to set it and forget it and not think about it? Or am I okay with actively managing my investment? Um, answering those questions will tell you if maybe stocks is the direction you want to go or maybe real estate is the direction you want to go. And then the last thing I'll say is a lot of times when we think of also investments, we think of like traditional assets in the form of like stocks and real estate. Self-investment though is 
probably the highest or at least one of the highest ROI return on investments that you can make. Um, you know, if a person could spend, say, $500 to do a weekend program or a boot camp or et cetera, and the result of that is they're going to earn 20 to 25% more because of the skills and knowledge that they've gained, that is a tremendous ROI that is sometimes incredibly hard to get in stocks or real estate. So investing in yourself, growing your income, especially early on in life, your income and the ability to grow it, that's really going to be one of your biggest wealth generators, especially if you manage it well, because upon doing so, now you can start pushing more and more money every month and every year into more of those traditional assets like index funds and real estate. Right, exactly. And this might be different for everybody, but I know you mentioned the emergency fund. Do you have a, a dollar amount that you think is probably pretty sufficient for most people if something comes up? Would it be $1,000, $10,000? How much should we have in savings at all times, despite our debt and our income and all the things we're investing in? It's a really good question you're asking, and it is somewhat nuanced as all of this is. But if you follow Dave Ramsey, he would have a blanket like $1,000, do that to get started. Um, for us, I think, and in the finance world, I think a general rule could be like a three to four month emergency fund. But I want the person to also consider how is my employment? Is it very stable where I make the same amount every month? I'm in a secure job or I'm self-employed and it's volatile and some months it's high and some months I make nothing. For people that are, yeah, us too. Um, for people that are stable, I would say maybe your emergency fund doesn't have to be, you know, six months to a year. Maybe you could have just a few months of your living expenses and that could be sufficient. You know, for us being self-employed, our income can be really high one month and then pretty average the next. Like it just really varies. Um, so we like to keep a larger emergency fund. And then the third piece that I will add in, what is the gap between your income to expenses? we have a very wide gap between our income to expenses. So that within itself kind of acts as an emergency fund. When you have someone that has $100 between their income and expenses and they're just shaving that through, um, I would want to see a higher emergency fund because you're spending just as much as you earn. So those factors I would consider with that. And then one last part is that sometimes people may think, well, I can't have three months of my total expenses saved in cash. That's like a very overwhelming number. But this is why, like what Ali was saying earlier, it's really important to know your numbers. Because if you actually go through your budget and you know, and you say, well, a certain percentage of my total monthly expenses is actually just debt. And it equates to some number. If you then were to work hard and pay off that debt and thus reduce your monthly expenses, that also equates to less money to get to that three-month savings amount. Um, and those two things can be really powerful. Exactly. And I think the part that's overwhelming sometimes is thinking where to start. So yeah. like I said, we just bought this new house and uh, I just I just paid off my car. So we have one less car payment. Yay. Um, we are credit card debt free. So that's exciting. Again, I, we have astronomical student loan debt. So we'll see what happens with that and how to get that down because I don't even know if we could pay that off in a lifetime. It's so much. But, um, you know, it's it's where to start, you know, and we have two little ones. And so you know, elementary age. I mean, they're not, they're little, but they're not that little, you know, they're not, they're not babies. So 
you know, thinking about our 401k and our retirement or how to save for our future, you know, mm-hmm. even in the moment, how do we pay our mortgage every month? You know, is it one car payment still left over and then all the little expenses along the way, like food and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, you know, college for our kids, you know, how do we invest in college? So there's just so many places that I think, where are we going to put all of our money? Cause there's so many places it could go. And then of course, in the background, the ultimate goal would be to uh, well, refinance, <laughs> obviously the way interest rates are right now, we definitely mm-hmm. need to refinance our house, but to save money, which I always, you know, give as a tip to people when they, when they're talking about um, home ownership, but uh, is, is yeah, where to start with it. And then again, the ultimate goal would be to have other properties and, you know, get some, um, income through that. So I, I think it's sometimes it's just overwhelming for people to think of where to start and, and, and how to do that. Do you have any suggestions for, for those people that are thinking that maybe it's just me? I don't know. <laughs> maybe no. I'm the one you're answering to not everyone else who's listening, but I no, need those that question a lot, actually. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that, Kim. I mean, so that, that, that message or that narrative of like, we couldn't pay this off in a lifetime. On the flip side now, it's like, oh, yeah, we paid off our debt. If you had met us five years ago, I was literally driving for Uber. We had no idea how we were paying for a wedding in seven months. We were literally spending everything just racking up credit card debt. So I would not have told you then we're going to be doing the stuff that we're doing now. And so it was incredibly overwhelming of where to start. And so now we talk a lot about two concepts like marathon goals and sprint goals. So marathon is kind of like that overarching one day we'd like to really pay off six figures of debt. They're your big goals. Exactly. We like to pay off a car. We want to save for retirement, et cetera, et cetera. When you zoom out and you look at these big, audacious goals. of It's overwhelming. So then you kind of try to chunk those out and actually make them more manageable and say, well, I can't pay off $100,000 tomorrow, but you know, reasonably this year, could we pay off a certain amount? And that's where you go back to your numbers. If we're saving $2,000 a month, okay, that's $24,000 a year. Okay, would that make an impact? If so, great. So something that Josh and I really like to do that's like a tangible thing that everyone could do, um, we particularly do it like January 1. It's a little tradition. We make a whole thing out of it. Um, But we have a goal setting day where we go through our numbers, what I said, our income, expenses, assets, debt. We go through all of that. And then we really think of the main value areas of our life. For us, we think about finance, business, health fun and travel. And like, those are the main buckets that we review and we make goals for all of those areas. So for you, it may be, you know, a travel bucket, an investment bucket, a debt bucket and a kid's bucket. And when you think of those goals, you're making the marathon goals and the sprint goals, and you're kind of chunking it out. So every month that gap between your income and expenses, that is your weapon to help you get to your goals. So it's really a matter of saying like, timeline wise, what do I need to prioritize first? For us, it was like we needed monthly cash flow because our incomes were lower at the time. So we prioritize buying real estate before heavily investing in our retirement because we needed the immediate cash flow. So we shifted it towards real estate so we could get that monthly revenue. Now that monthly revenue is getting reinvested into other investments. So 
again, like for your kid's college, that's more of a short-term goal because college isn't that far away. So I would probably want to make a monthly allocation towards that, right? And then I would also consider like the other factors. But again, it's so hard. There's no one size fits all because everyone has a different life and they have different things that they want out of their life. I can give you like a very tangible thing. So every year we want to buy one, maybe two rental properties. Um, anything thereafter, we like to ingest, invest taxable brokerage, retirement accounts, et cetera. So our sprint goal right now for quarter one, and we're going to accomplish this, is we're going to buy another rental property here in a couple months. And so that's our focus, right? We control control what we can control. So most extra money is literally going into the rental property savings fund. Once that rental property is acquired, yeah. we stabilize it, we fix it up we'd go to our next bucket goal, which is probably gonna be our taxable brokerage account. So yep. any excess money, it goes into stocks. Because for Josh and I, we have different accounts, like we have personal, business, rental, we have a minimum threshold of money that we need in it. Other than that, money isn't sitting in bank accounts, it's getting invested or put into goals. We don't give ourselves like extra money to just chill because then that's how it gets spent. Totally. Um, so we're very intentional with that. I love that. I'm getting all these ideas. My mind is just like going a million <laughs> miles a minute right now. Um, okay, coming full circle. We're almost out of time, but coming full circle, um, like I said, we literally just moved in about four days ago, and we don't know where the interest rates are going to be right now. Right now, they're they're extremely high. We got a decent mm -hmm. rate when we locked in. Um, we have a 30 year fixed, and you know we hope to live in this house long term as long as yeah. possible. This is kind of like our forever home, but I. I I know you've given tips in the past about paying off more than just your monthly mortgage payment that the bank gives you. What are your thoughts on that? What are your tips on that? So I can start now, I haven't even paid my first mortgage payment technically, to pay more or how much should I pay more to save money in the end? This is a heavily contested conversation. We recently made content about this and some people are like, wow, that's awesome to pay off your house early. And other people are like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard of. Because here's the thing, when you're paying off your house early and making extra payments, you're saving all that money in interest, which can literally equate to six figures plus of interest. So oh, that's yeah. huge. And then you get the mental health benefit of, I don't have a housing payment. That's a peace of mind to not have that level of debt. But with that being said, there's also an inherent opportunity cost to that. Because when you're paying down debt, you're not putting that money towards investing. And when you invest, you could make X amount per uh, an X amount of returns. So if you're investing in stocks, maybe a seven to 10% return, right? Um, so it's kind of weighing the pros and cons. Do I wanna invest 500,000 to pay my house off early or do I want to invest it into the stock market and see how much money I can make over the long term? And I think something people fail to consider, right, is because they'll do that back of the envelope. And if you go online, if you just like debt house or mortgage payoff calculators, you can put in all your numbers. And, and you could see like an extra payment will let me pay it off 10 years earlier, whatever that is. And so that's where a lot of it does align with people's goals. I mean, we work with people where they wanted to retire when their kids were going to be retiring from college. And in order for them to do that, they needed a paid off mortgage and their cost of living would drop, et cetera. So they could do go through that calculation and they could say, yes, there is the potential for a higher ROI or return on investment if I put my money into you know, index funds, mutual funds, et cetera, um, other than paying off my, now this is back then, three, 4% mortgage, right? So now that gap is kind of closed quite a bit. 
Um, yeah, it, or I could pay off my house earlier and there's a quality of life benefit and kind of a risk-free rate of return. Because that's another thing too, is people will tell you like the opportunity cost, but they won't do a risk-adjusted analysis. So they'll just so say- break that down in regular English. Well, no. So they'll say like, <laughs> my mortgage is Layman's five. Terms, please. <laughs> yeah, my mortgage is five and I could get eight in the stock market. Well, clearly I could get, you know, 3%, uh, you know, net benefit in the favor of the stock market. But you have to account for risk and people don't typically do that because you could do that and then you could run into a 2022 buzzsaw and get negative 22 percent so just to translate that like paying off your home you're guaranteed to save money but when you invest money in stocks and real estate and really any type of asset there's an inherent risk that you can put your money in but you can lose money too. Like there's volatility with all of these investments. So again, it's really knowing your risk tolerance and your long and short-term goals, whether it makes sure, makes sense to like pay off the house early or take that money and invest it into another asset class. And to give you, again, like our situation, we were hyper-focused. We wanted to pay off debt, but we also wanted financial freedom and to buy real estate. So we honored both of those goals and we broke those up into sprint goals. And so when we first got married in 2018, by the skin of our teeth, we managed to close on our first rental the last week of December of 2018. We moved in the week of Christmas, et cetera. The first, I would say half or three quarters of 2019 was almost entirely dedicated not to buying more real estate. It was our goal of we want to pay off as much student loan debt as we possibly can now that we've slashed our our rent now in half and we paid off our car. It wasn't until really the second half of 2019 where we kind of lifted our heads up a little bit and said, okay, now we're going to really start thinking real estate again. Right. Well, I have some homework to do. I, <laughs> my husband and I have some conversations, but I, I really like the buckets. I really like, you know, uh, just all the things, all the tips that you gave today, all of your wisdom about this. Where can people find more um, to learn more from you and, or to reach out if they have any personal finance questions and, and whatnot? Absolutely. No, thank you for that so much. This has been an awesome conversation. So you can learn more about us at the FI couple, F-I couple. Um, it stands for financial independence. And we're on every social media platform, but Instagram is definitely our biggest one. Um, we have a website, theficouple.com. And if you have a specific question, you can always email us at info at theficouple.com. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much. Congratulations on just, you know, the the sacrifices that you've made and the goals that you've accomplished um, with your finances. Um, again, I think it's such a hot topic that a lot of people want to do, but they're not really sure how to go about doing it or how to start it. And I think you gave them that um, information today so they can go ahead and take that and in, in tangibly make some changes in their lives. So again, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.
Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.